This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. I want you to take your research to the next level with Interactive Brokers' redesigned Fundamentals Explorer. Fundamentals Explorer provides comprehensive worldwide fundamental data to all IBKR clients and at no cost. More than 30,000 companies are covered worldwide with more than 300 data points per company and over 80 sources for news wires and reports. I mean, come on. The Fundamentals Explorer lets you dive deep into hundreds of data points covering historical trends and industry comparisons, key ratios, forecasts, ratings, ownership, and more. So you can see the whole picture, right? Isn't that what you want? It also now includes a securities lending dashboard that provides complementary and premium security lending analytics using all sorts of features like the daily short sale data on thousands of securities worldwide to generate trade ideas for yourself. You can gauge short sentiment and evaluate your portfolio from a different angle. You can find data faster, add depth to your trading analysis, and compare beyond plain numbers. Better research makes for better decisions. Visit IBKR.com. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Again, that's IBKR.com. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Shazam! A November to remember. Powell tries to talk markets down, but that's just not happening. Yields and the U.S. dollar collapse. Good news for the risk assets and... A look back at an amazing month. All this and much more on episode number 845 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Well, welcome. Everybody listening, how are you? And thanks for coming aboard. And this is going to be another, I think, insightful episode of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. And uh, you know, each and every week, what do we do, right? We, we, we spend time together. We unpack the intricacies of the economic landscape. We talk about stocks. We look at the information around decision-making when it comes to buying and selling. We look at well, all sorts of indicators and things like that. So this is another time we're going to spend some time looking at something. And what we do is we're going to look backwards at the month of November because I got to tell you something. Wow, that was an incredible month by every standard across pretty much every asset class. Risk assets were really in vogue because we had a near-perfect situation that, that came up, right? What is it? Well, the, the, the thought, the belief, the, the hope that the Fed is going to lay off a little bit, and we are here in a time where it's Goldilocks. We have seasonality that is beneficial. We have rates that came down. We have the U.S. dollar that came down. We have all sorts of things that are running into uh, an election cycle. All these things are coalescing, if you would, right? If, if you look at this 
from from a a a, a uh, objective stance and look at all the things that line up in a just a wonderful way to try to paint a picture of what would be a great market outcome. This is something that we talked about at length last month when everybody's like, wah, 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 you know, market is terrible. You know, October was, oh, my God, and November is uh, it's going to be terrible. And we talked about the potential for these seasonal trends to start to come up and to really bolster stocks that, for the most part, were a little bit on the oversold standpoint. You know, we never want to focus in only on that, but we'll talk about that as well when I get to a discussion that I have a note on here that I need to talk to you about, which is about the KRI, the Key Reversal Indicator. And, uh, you know, what's happening right now is that we have a lot of, uh, I, I would say, tailwinds and headwinds that are colliding with each other, but yet at the same time looking at it as the cup is half full. Even though we have concerns, we all do about earnings. We look at, you know, things related to the wars and geopolitical problems around the world. And and when I say we, I'm talking about the the entirety of us as investors, all of us. I don't think there's anybody out there that's like, ah, oh, smooth sailing. Don't worry about it. There is nothing that could really stop it. There's a lot of wall of worry going on right now. And when we look at that, uh, well, we have to kind of just take a moment and recognize that sometimes in those circumstances is one of the best times to invest. Let's just stop right there for a second because we're going to go back to this. I want to talk about um, the, the month of November, talk about the KRI, some of the things coming up. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, by the way, here we are five minutes into this discussion and episode uh, that we are into the first week of December 2024. If you don't know me by now, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and I am the host of this podcast. Also, DH Unplugged, John C. Dvorak, myself, we get together each and every week on Tuesdays, and we talk about all sorts of things that are related to the world of finance, but in a different manner. We look at it from the the news standpoint, the headlines, the reports that come out. We look at the earnings that come out and really get down deep into what each of these things mean and try to dumb it down, to be honest with you, so that we all understand what the hell is going on and then come up with some good decisions about what does it all mean. Give us another way of looking at things rather than just maybe from a chart standpoint, uh, maybe just from the news standpoint, because what we do is take this news and, and, and take it apart and put it back together. We look at all the things that are said and, and try to scrape out and, and take off the excess and get down to the nuts and bolts, or as they sometimes say, the nitty gritty of what it is. So Tuesdays live. If you don't have uh, the opportunity to do that, well, you just go over to dhunplug.com or, of course, your favorite podcast place, your app, your streaming, whether it's Amazon or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. You can grab it uh, wherever you want. So uh, there you have it. Also, uh, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. Last week's episode was the big, what do we call it? I guess the big replay episode, right? Where we had the opportunity to provide you the details of what we talked about in a webinar that we called What's in Store for 2004. Took that nice rhyme there, so that was good. And what we talked about in that was all sorts of things related to how things are stacking up and where we are and the potential for what the Fed's going to do, find the potential of what's going to happen with earnings. Okay, great. What's going to happen with, you know, the the opportunity for 
uh, you know, commodities versus, let's say, uh, emerging markets, or, or combined with that. All this was discussed on the webinar, which we did. We thought it was a really good time at the end of uh, at the month of, or, or in the middle of the part, month of November, uh, because I, actually I think it was second week of November. I think it was. Anyway, talking about what was happening because there was so much concern that I was starting to hear the 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 the, the this the people are saying, you know, wait a minute, uh, you know, we've gone through this before. It's a great year. Okay, great. Let's just throw the towel, sell it all, and just be done with it into October because things weren't doing well the past three months from there. And I tried to explain that it's not about market timing. It's not necessarily just simply about time in the market either. It, it's more about, it, it's it's a little bit more of a uh, a process that we have to balance, rebalance, move to overweight, to underweight, and keep your portfolio in the game. Now, not, not always entirely, but keep you in the game because the only way that you're going to succeed, we've talked about this a thousand times, is first of all, playing the game. Second of all, you know, if you're sitting on the sidelines waiting for me to see, say something magical one day that's going to allow for you to have the opportunity to say, yeah, I am going to invest like some people would do for January 1st, 2024. I've been out of the market all this time and now it's time to invest. Okay, great. Why were you out of the market then? And how are you going to bring yourself to really invest now? And if you do, and all of a sudden the market drops in January and February, are you going to be able to withstand that? The pain, the agony of losing money. Oh my God, what an idiot I was to put my money into the market. What was I thinking? And then pulling it out. And then sitting on the sideline once again. You know, it's like a prize fighter going out there and getting a left jag and saying, oh, oh my God, I'm done. Not even giving themselves the chance. So that's what we kind of went through. Uh, some of the things that you really need to, I think, focus in on. Because a lot of things that we talk about um, are based on, you know, what what seems to be some of the facts that are out there. But there's a, there's a, there's a secondary component of investing. And it's all about the can I take it factor? Can I sleep factor? Am I up for this factor? We call that behavioral finance. In fact, it's a great segue because coming up next week, we have a great guest. We have Dr. Dr. Daniel Crosby coming on. Um, and he is a behavioral finance expert. That's what he decided to do was study finance within the scope of psychology. And he's going to be coming on. We've had him on for years before he got all popular and famous. We found that he had some great information and wrote, then eventually wrote a couple of books. I'm, I'm glad to say that we were the early ones that uh, found what he was doing quite revolutionary. And uh, I think you'll find it really interesting. So that's next week. The week after we have somebody coming on as well that you've been on before, but I wanted him especially in the December, end of December uh, time period. But I want to have him on because his name is Meb Faber. Mebane is his name, I believe it is. But we call him Meb, Meb Faber. And there's two things in particular I want to talk to him about. Number one is tax benefits of ETFs over mutual funds and, um, and the new breed of 
active ETFs that may be tax beneficial. And the second thing is, is this the year of the emerging markets? That <laughs> is a question that uh, has been asked probably for the last uh, half a dozen years or so. Every year. It, it comes as a question and it comes as a comment and, and, a, and a hope. You know, the question is, is this the year of the emerging market? And the other one, the other side of this, this is going to be the year of the emerging markets. You know, that's that's both sides. I have heard that from so many people that have walked through my doors over the years, whether they're the the private um, private hedge fund guys or institutional analysts or the mutual fund dudes and dudesses. Uh, they come in and we talk about stuff. Like, oh, this year, if you look at this, you know, every five, every five years, we see uh, this is the year of the emerging markets. I think, I think, the only reason that this actually may be the year for emerging markets coming up, although it doesn't seem like it should be from a mathematical sequence, what we know about emerging markets is that uh, a lot of the emerging market funds have a big stake in China, and China has been just awful for three or four years. Now, what if, I don't know why, all of a sudden things turn around in China and that takes off, and that's a big part of the overall emerging market index. That would be really cool, right? That's number one. Number two, everybody's pretty much said, okay, forget it. This is definitely not going to be the year. How can it be the year? It hasn't been the year. It won't be the year. It's never going to be the year. I think people have thrown in the towel on it. And perversely, <laughs> it could be one of those contraindicators that is saying, well, it may be. I know that sounds crazy because until I probably throw in the towel entirely, it can't be, right? Everybody's got to throw in the towel. But uh, there is something to be said about the fact that we have reversionary transactions, the reversion to the mean type of mentality where there's a lot. And that's going on right now in the markets, by the way. Last week, we saw that. Some of the worst hit stocks over the last year got the biggest boost. Look at Lyft up dramatically. Even GameStop had a couple of days. GameStop had a couple of days that were doing really well. You know, what we have right now is a circumstance that we're looking to kind of square up, have the opportunity for everybody to participate. Every stock should get a participation trophy for 2023. So let's bring up the laggards, even though they may not be so good. The hope is that maybe this is their year. So I'm thinking that there's that possibility as well. Finally, uh, before we... Um, get to some of the other topics about the KRI indicator and uh, and uh, a recap in November. Um, I want to thank everybody who uh, actually contacted us. There's been a lot of interest in the in the portfolio review that I talked about. I just touched on it very briefly, and all of a sudden we got overwhelmed with a lot of people that took us up on that offer. But, um, you know, it's the end of the year, and I figured, man, what the heck, let's, let's, let's kind of make – uh, some plans to uh, really focus in on what's going on and make sure that you're set. I think one of the big things that – why people took that up so quickly when I just mentioned that – and you just go over to the Discipline Investor, by the way. Just go to discipleinvestor.com, click on the contact us and say, hey, I want a portfolio review. We'll ask you to send us a couple of things. Um, but I think people people are 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 concerned about their positioning and what's going on with all these headwinds and tailwinds that we've talked about. So um, you send us your portfolio. We'll take a look under the hood and we'll you know, figure out what's going on there. So what else? Oh, 
I mentioned this, uh, the KRI, the key reversal indicator. So th this is, a, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, every once in a while we put up this key reversal indicator and we look at uh, overbought or overheated and, and oversold or, you know, over overdone levels. Uh, the, the indicator itself has a range and the range is a negative seven to a positive seven. I've only seen positive seven and negative seven like once, maybe over the, over the years, um, but we do see a little bit more often, still very sparsely, the plus six or negative six. We've seen that over the years. The last time I saw a plus six was like in two thousand twenty. I think it was June, and you can look at this two different ways. And we had Tom McClellan on not too long ago, and and he looks at these kinds of things when you see this. Uh, these indicators that are based on things like, you know, advanced decline and momentum and a series of things in there. And we built this, we built this, by the way, to get a real feel and flavor for what the markets are doing from a psychological standpoint to see when they're kind of just overdone and you just don't want to really start plowing things in at that moment or when they're, uh, you know, overdone the upside or overdone the downside to be like, hey, now that's an interesting time, back up a truck. Now I'll tell you historically, what I've seen. What I've seen is when we see these negative sixes and clusters, we call them, we have multiple days in a row of negative five, negative six, negative four, negative five, negative six, negative six. Those are great times to start thinking about backing up the truck and investing. Now, on the contrary, the plus six, plus five, plus six, plus five, and all that is a good time to start thinking about lightening up your portfolio, but not all in. It's not as... Um, Accurate, and I'll tell you why. It's very simple. People are inclined to buy stock when shares are down. People are inclined to buy stocks when shares are up. The inclination overall, the, the heavy emphasis is on this, that people are inclined to buy stocks. We've talked about this when an episode a couple of years back we talked about the market mechanics, the mechanics of the market. That number one, you have each and every month money going into a pension plan, 401k plan, automatically. Every time somebody gets paid with a 401k plan that they have at their company, a piece of money, a few shekels comes out and goes into a 401k plan, which then is bought into a various portfolio of various mutual funds. That makes sense. That's the market mechanics. Buying is happening all of the time. All the time. Automatically. So the big issue here is that um, when we saw this plus six and we posted it on Twitter, right at that, honestly, it was like within, I would say, three minutes Markets rolled over, and the NASDAQ started to really have some problems. And the next day, the Dow was up gigantic, but the NASDAQ and the S&P, NASDAQ in particular, were, was not in such great shape, and we're starting to see some of the froth come off the edges a little bit, and they're rotating a lot of the stuff that's in, for example, the high-tech NASDAQ and the, the, the what they call the Magnificent Seven, uh, into things that haven't worked as well this year, like many of the companies in the industrials, materials, 
maybe even pharmaceuticals. We'll see some of the companies. I mean, we saw what happened with Pfizer this week when they uh, didn't get to the endpoint and it was uh, some problem with their weight loss medicine. But we did actually start a position uh, hedging out some of the risk through uh, positioning in a, a hedge for our TDIMG strategy for the portfolios for our clients. We added to, well, began a, a position against the S&P 500. Uh, and, and not a big position, but a position that would be meaningful if things got a little out of hand on the downside. But not so great either that it would be so problematic on the upside because we we'll always flush it out and move move on. One of the things that we saw that's the biggest concern right now is the small uh, the small stocks, the underperformers, the low low float, the ones with high short interest, for example, have been you know garnering all sorts of excitement recently. Like wow, big push on on these names, and particularly we saw that on Friday into the first day of December, and you have to. I think, I think you need to question something. You need to question whether or not there's a lot more ammo, right? There's a lot more opportunity for cash on the sidelines or, or people that have money to actually keep on investing in a market that is stretched to begin with. I mean, maybe it doesn't matter because now we have a 10-year yield at 4.22%, which is a far cry. I mean, I... Uh, Incredible distance from the 5% we saw, what, about a month ago? And when Powell tried last week to cool the markets by talking about, and I'll, I'll, this is what he said, it would be premature to conclude with confidence that we achieved a sufficiently restrictive stance or to speculate on when policy might ease. He also praised, gave a big fat pat on the back to the Fed's work in knocking down inflation and keeping employment opportunities high. Remember something, you knocked down inflation, you didn't knock prices down. We're all still paying a lot more money for the same goods that we had two years ago. So not so fast on the back padding, sir. The truth of the matter is that there's the, that inflation is still up, but down below. He is not able to control the markets once again like he thinks he can because that commentary that he said very well planned and crafted. It did drop the market initially, and then it just, you know, everybody's like, happy, 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 happy. It would be premature to conclude with confidence. So th there's, again, a little bit of a hedge that we achieved a sufficiently restrictive stance or to speculate on what when policy uh, might ease. You know, not really coming out and saying, hey, guys, you know what? We're not thinking about thinking about thinking about like he did the last time. He's a dove, and that's all there is to it. So... Nice pat on the back, though. So, uh, let's do a recap of November. And I think it's um, important to take a look at, at, at what happened uh, during the month. Before we do that, I want to mention Interactive Brokers again. I think it's important to talk about this because I have a question. It's a very simple question. Are you looking for ways to earn extra income? Well, at Interactive Brokers, they have something called the Stock Yield Enhancement Program, which lets you earn extra income on fully paid shares of stock in your brokerage account. And here's, here's how it works. It's very simple. Interactive brokers will lend your shares to traders who pay you interest to borrow them, and you split the, the income with, with interactive brokers, right? 50% goes to you. They keep 50%. It's that simple. Open an interactive brokers account today and start earning extra income. Like I said, it's pretty easy to do. 
And if you don't understand or know about this, what I want you to do is learn more about it. Go to Interactive Brokers. It's ibkr.com slash S-Y-E-P. That's ibkr.com slash S-Y-E-P. Now, let's go over November. Well, first of all, we know, we know November was an incredible month for equities, but it was more than that. I mean, you saw real estate really pop pretty well. So to start things off and really looking into the notable rise in stocks, which was a, it was a pivot. It would have to be, I guess the right word to say is a pivotal switch in, uh, in, in, after three months of back-to-back declines, we saw that the NASDAQ led the charge showcasing its resilience. There's no question about that. We saw behind that, but uh, still incredible was the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, the Dow, the global Dow. Collectively, these indices saw their best performance since the latter part of 2022, which culminated in the most promising November in the last three years. So there's a lot of optimism that was really going on and investors felt, um, I think, relief from signs of inflation pressures really diminishing. That's, that's, as I can see it, was probably the biggest reason we saw what was going on. Because if you think about what would happen once you have that in your mindset, you'd be like, okay, well, let's drop the dollar down in value. You know, let's sell the dollar and let's sell our bonds um, uh, buy the bonds because the yields are, are going down over the future because we have an inverse relationship. So bond prices came up dramatically. And, and when we look at that, what happened is that the, the idea was predicated on, once again, the hope that the Federal Reserve might have pretty much done what they're going to do. They're done. Their interest rate hikes are over, even though Powell says maybe they're not. So if we look even further into the discussion of where inflation was, the most recent data that was unveiled showed further deceleration in in pricing growth. So back to that disinflation thing, right? So it's still price is still high, but but they're not they're not gaining as much as they were. So that's that's good, especially compared to October. And then when you when you line it all up, we can see year over year still showing higher than the 2% that the Fed is really looking for. But what we have is um, a slowdown, so it's a slowing growth of inflation. So the CPI and both uh, that and the and the Fed's, as I always say, I say it every time, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, the PCE, the personal consumption expenditures, uh, both showed receding annual rates of, of inflation. So that was good. Now, again... I'm not happy about the fact that prices are still high, but this is just what you have to live with. Now, in terms of the Federal Reserve, the, the, the action, the resilience, what was interesting in the face of all this was these GDP numbers that came out that were pretty hot, right? When we look at monetary policy, though, the Federal Reserve, in their November meeting, they decided to maintain the Fed Fund's target rate. That was all exciting, right? That uh, we have the range of 525 to 5.5%. That was a big that was big news. They also acknowledged at the same time though that the apparent slowdown in inflation um you know may or may not be something that is going to be permanent and they may have to have future interest rate adjustments and 
you know, we have to look at the, you know, the, the whole landscape and see what happens. And we're going to follow the dots and we're going to, you know, act on the data. And these are all the things that they talk about, right? It's all a bunch of crap, by the way, but it's our crap. So we have to believe it. We have to go along with it. And that's the truth. I'm not kidding around right there. You have to go along with the program. If you want to invest appropriately, otherwise, what's the point of all this? If you're just going to fight it and everybody else is going along with it, that just makes no sense. So and when we look ahead into probably the mid part of December, there's another meeting coming up that there's, you know, there was a lot of thought that there would be another rate hike at that point. But there's a lot of speculation now that has changed that we may not see any kind of a, a rate hike. Um, and there's going to be reduction starting in 2024. And this is, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, the, the problems you saw with things like strikes, uh, wars, uh, geopolitical conflict, um, you know, the U.S. economy being very resilient. I mean, so 5.2% on the GDP. That is not like a recessionary mark, although it's going to be a year from now very hard to, to uh, compare against. The year over year is going to be a real problem. And even next quarter could be a real problem with uh, such a great you know, GDP that we see right now. Now, in terms of employment, that's the other thing. You know, that's what the Fed recently gave themselves a pat on the back about because when we look at the labor market, October did see a slowdown. It was clearly, it was visible. It wasn't a lot. It was there. There was a slowdown in growth. 150,000 new jobs added. But... The reality was in all this, we saw, still saw wage inflation kicking up. 4.1% increase over the last 12 months. And, and even though the unemployment claims saw an uptick, and the reading is the highest since, I think it was late 2020, big deal. It wasn't that much of, of, a, of a number that was really that concerning on that. So... When you look at that, you know, companies are are laying off people, but people are making more money. Still making more money means more spending. People are being laid off, but not at a level yet that is so detrimental to the economy that people are pulling back. And we saw that in, um, in some of the consumer sentiment numbers and in the retail sales that there is, a, I think, a palpable level of, of, of drawback but not so much right now that anybody's freaking out about. I don't think that's right, by the way. I think, you know, we look at the high prices and where we're going, the potential is for people to start freaking out and pulling back. And that may happen all at once, right? You know, all of a sudden, everything's great. Then, you know, uh, risk happens fast. Risk happens fast. Now, as we look at the, the GDP number, right? And, and then we start to think about what's happening with companies and housing. The, the truth is that AI was a big, hopeful boom that really was placed into our eyesight mid-year, and everybody's all excited still about it. And it takes a while for, for things to slow down. But, you know, when we look at what's going on on a corporate basis and, and, and see that, for example, something like Salesforce this week, you know, had good numbers. Stock was up dramatically. That helped kickstart the Dow into high gear. It's, 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 it's I would say, uh, of interest but late cycle, what we're seeing happening. Now, year-over-year -year gains in, in earnings was pretty good. 80% of the S&P 500 companies surpassed analyst expectations. 
yes, that's all great. We still see that there is a bit of an earnings recession going on. Uh, or at least I would say that when we look at the totality of it, it's not terrible. But you start looking around the edges, starting to fray a little bit in terms of co corporate profitability. Does that change? I don't know. Cost of goods stay uh, more reasonable and maybe companies are able to pass on as they have been so far. The pricing, their margins get better. It, it's all up in the air. Everybody's been wrong about this to begin with, including me, in terms of how companies are going to fare during a, a severe inflationary environment. But they were just able to push it on. Maybe thank goodness for all the stimulus money that was out there. Now, when we look at, at the dynamics of bonds and commodities, I mean, another great month in November overall. And you see gold up six-month high and, and, and kick it up pretty well. Silver doing really well. Oil not. But... But that's of interest, right? Is oil getting crushed because there's a concern about the outward demand and recessionary environment around the world and gold and silver going up, not only because of the dollar dropping, but also because that's a safe haven play. Hmm, interesting. I don't know. That's how it's playing out, though. So there was a lot of positive uh, movement 10 out of the 11 sectors were, were moved up. November, um, again, we're still like 8, 9, 10, 11%, depending on what particular index we're looking at, whether it's the Russell 2000 or the NASDAQ or the S&P 500. Bond prices saw a tremendous move during the period. Now, um, international markets also were, were, was interest. Um, inflationary pressures really dropped significantly, for example, in U.K., and various regions around the world also saw a very significant drop in overall inflationary trends. Eurozone, the, the inflation in the Eurozone dipped to about 2.4%, lowest level since July 2021. UK went from 67 to 4.6%. Wow, 6.7 to 4.6. That's great. Consumer confidence in the U.S. surge. You would have thought that would be actually negative for the markets. Went from uh, 99 in October to 102 in November. That's pretty substantial because we saw a very depressed consumer for a while. Now, you know, you look at the retail sales numbers and Black Friday and Cyber Mon Monday numbers and, 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 and all that's going into this. And we did see a consumer that was resilient. That's the big word. I mean, resilient has to be the word of right now of what's happening. However, there also was a lot of talk about bargain hunting. There also was a reality that while overall sales were up, they were up pretty much uh, about 2.5% when you take inflation into account. That's fine. They're up. We're all good with them being up. Much, much, much worse would be a, a situation where we'd be crying about you know retail sales being down dramatically. Now, when we look ahead, and, and we're... At the cusp, we're, we're right at the edge of this year's final uh, month into the end of the year. And we start looking towards, you know, the economy and inflation. I mean, it, it, we've not only weathered the financial mini crisis here about what happened with the banking situation back in March. Uh, and, and really, that, a lot of that was just a cover up of, of, of something to make it look better. Don't look this way. Let's, let's take... Uh, Bonds that are problematic and put them into a side fund. That's kind of what happened. Not exactly. 
but kind of what happened there. The inflation has, I guess the best word is decelerated. And if the, if, if the Fed, I can't imagine right now if we have a 5, 4, 3% GDP number, unemployment under 4.5%, uh, that the Fed's going to really find themselves necessary to start reducing rates. Housing prices still haven't come down dramatically. Some regions have come down, and, and there's still a big demand for all sorts of things. Listen, the boat show down here in Fort Lauderdale just a month ago or so was like a record again. A record! Now, smaller boats weren't sold as much. Those boats that rely on financing that are about 8 9 10% or more for boats didn't have the same punch. But your big boats, people that could buy with cash, oh, they were buying. And they were buying pretty quickly. So the dynamics of where we're going right now, um, I got to tell you, is confusing as ever. However, some of the components of what we're looking at are the same as always. We, we know how this is going to end. We know how the SPAC deals would have ended ahead of time. It's just all about timing. We knew how, um, you know, the, the inflationary situation was going to end. It was going to end with, you know, inflation back to levels that were fine or even deflation for a little while, but not so much that prices were ever going to come down again. And where we are right now is in a situation where prices are high. We're willing to pay them somehow. We've had to give uh, you know, workers higher wages to keep up with it, which is fine. Everybody should make more money. That's all great. We want that. That's what we want. We want people to be making more money. But at the but at what 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 risk? Who who pays the piper? You know, right now it's all racked up in government debt that's gonna take substantial amount of resources to pay down. The debt service on the debt that we have right now is higher than ever or close to. The debt clearly is higher than ever if you factor in what the Fed has on their balance sheet. So these are all the headwinds. The tailwinds are optimism about the future, the opportunity for all these things that are the headwinds to disassemble and just break apart into the ether, right? Where you have no more concern about what's going on around the world. One at a time, the Ukraine war goes away, inflation slows down, the situation in Taiwan and China eases and just, you know, in, in the Middle East, there's, uh, you know, the, the truce will go, come and go, but then stay for a long period of time. Uh, and then, you know, everybody's just happy, you know, business as usual. And that's what everybody's looking for. And that's, I think, what the uh, excitement is about right now. The reality that, you know, we made it through this one too. I mean, for God's sakes, we made it through this financial crisis in 2008. Look, we came out the other side better than ever. We made it through COVID, 2020. Psh, better than ever. And now, you know what? There's, uh, there's no way we're going to have any problems coming out of the inflationary scare that we saw in 2023, 2022, coming up better than ever because we have all this technology and all these wonderful things and the U.S. economy is just, you know, it just continues on. And uh, that is, is causing a lot of excitement, I think, and maybe some false hope, but also some excitement there. So it's going to be an interesting uh, month and into 2024.
Anyway, we're going to keep it short this week, uh, coming into the end of the year, into the holiday season. Thank you for joining me this week and every week. Don't forget that next week uh, we have some great guests. We have Daniel, Dr. Daniel Crosby coming on. Following week is Meb Faber. Listen to DH Unplugged. And don't forget to go back and listen to the replay show as well. Thanks for joining me this week and every week. I'll talk to you soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.